This episode of For the Love with Jen Hatmaker is brought to you by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. They can be big, difficult, even scary life things, and also small inconveniences that add up day after day. The thing is, when we keep them all bottled up on the inside and just try to grin and bear it, it can start to affect us and the people around us negatively. We may even isolate ourselves, which makes it even worse. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. This was the case for me when I was at the highest stress level in my life, where the stress was even having physical consequences for me. Therapy was a huge part of my healing journey to learn how to manage the stress. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash for the love today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash for the love. Hey everybody, Jen Hatmaker here, your host of the For the Love podcast. You guys welcome. Welcome to the show. I am so glad that you're here. We're in a series right now called For the Love of Calming the Chaos. And I am just loving it. I am enjoying this series so much for a lot of reasons, but it's causing me to take a pretty hard look at what is actually bringing chaos to my own life and where chaos is located. Like sometimes it's such a generic feeling of feeling chaotic that it's hard to like parse out, right? What, what is actually chaotic in my life? Like surely it can't be me, right? Oh dear. Most of us tend to think that our lives are what's chaotic. Just all of it, the job and the money and the family and the school and the friends and the state of the world. But it's, it's worth asking, what is the source? What is the source? Like, can we, can we parse it down into something more clear, more specific, instead of just this garden variety chaos that we all experience? Is it coming from a less definitive space, maybe? What coping skills am I wrapping around that? What's my response looking like? So I think knowing where your chaos is coming from can be really freeing, but knowing what to do about it is sometimes hard to grasp or hard to parse out or figure out because frankly, I mean, chaos is now so ubiquitous. It's so the common experience. It's almost a badge of honor. Do you know what I mean? There's almost some sort of weird reward inherent in long work days and pushing and grinding and keeping up these like spotless appearances and how our houses look, how our kids are, you know what I mean? Like it's almost become currency. And so I think for this episode, I really wanted to explore some of the deep core basics of creating order, of minimizing chaos that don't necessarily just involve some new regimen, right? That sometimes to me feels more overwhelming. Like, What do I onboard into my life to make it all easier? And it still just ends up feeling in my body like more, do more, have more. You know what I mean? What if it was a tweak of perspective? What if it was 
small changes? What if we turned the dials slightly, just subtly enough where we experience a shift from chaos toward calm? Like, what if we approached chaos in a way that is more manageable, like more accessible, smaller, smaller, not like I need a whole new life, right? But what are the small ways to wrangle order out of some of this chaos? So we have a pair of guests today. Oh, gosh. I buried the lead. I really did. I buried the lead because every time I'm with these girls, I like them more. And I have had them a lot in my space because their work has meant so much to me. They happen to be sisters. And they both work in the space of bringing calm and order to our lives in extremely simple ways. They kind of work in two different spaces, but with the same basic approach, the same sort of through line of small and simple. I know that most of you already know and love these girls. It's Emily P. Freeman and her sister, Michaelyn Smith. And I've just come off our, our conversation And I feel such a way, like just this one conversation already handed me a couple of small little comfort points that I am about to walk into my house and execute there. And it's not more, it's less. It's not do this, it's it's less. You'll see what I'm talking about. And for those of you who are a part of my me course community, Emily and Michael Lynn flew to Austin and they were both integral parts of my me course. They were my guest experts in the me course that was wildly popular with you. And it was the me course on simplicity for the rest of us. And no one's doing it better. I love who they are and I love their approach. So you might've heard Emily's podcast. She has a podcast called The Next Right Thing. Six years, she's been making this incredible space for us. It is a wonderful shot of peace and clarity for your week. She's also written a book by the same title and a guided journal. And so Emily focuses on how virtually all of us succumb to something like analysis paralysis when it comes to making decisions. So this is her space. She's all about what she says, creating a space for your soul to breathe. So we can clear the chaos around kind of the fear or the frozen nature of making wrong decisions or second guessing ourselves. So she is a part of this mental clarity space on doing the next right thing. And she's been with us before as part of the Good Change series. And I'll link to that. We're so glad she's back. Michaelin works in a space where the concentration is more in the physical world. You have probably seen her website and all of her work under her sort of moniker, which is the nester. And she's got this incredible way of helping us create homes that are conducive to peace instead of chaos. Because she believes, and I 100% agree, that when our homes feel out of control, it exasperates our internal chaos. That is the truest thing for me. When my home is cluttered and disorganized and overrun and messy, and I just, it makes my mental load feel so much worse. So she's written extensively on her website. She has books on the subject, including The Cozy Minimalist Home, 
one of my favorites. And she's going to give us really practical, doable guidance toward very small steps, zero massive home renovations required that we can execute to wrangle some calm out of the chaos of our homes, which is where we live. So it matters. So lucky, lucky us. We have Michael Lynn, our cozy minimalist, and Emily, our soul minimalist, working in concert with us today. Plus, they are so delightful together. These sisters are just dreamy, and I love them, and they are funny, and they are smart, and I am a forever friend and fan of the both of them. So you're going to love this conversation. You are going to feel relieved and hopeful by the end of it. So Help me welcome the absolute wonderful Michael and Smith and Emily P. Freeman to the show. Two of my favorite people really and seriously are on the show. And hi, girls. I'm so happy to see you. Hi, it's so good to see you. Okay, so just really quick, just from up here, like... Because some people are going to watch this, most people are going to listen to it. So I want them to know your voices and who's who and who's what and where are you. So just can you kind of introduce yourselves to my listening crew and just tell like, you know, the the Tinder bio, if you will, of where you live. And I'm sorry, that's a person who's single. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Who your people are, what your kind of deal is, and then we'll drill into it all. Good. Sister girl, you go first because you were yeah. born first. Okay, oh, I like, I'm the oh, oldest. Okay, fair. Yes, I am the big sister. I like to think of myself as a bossy big sister. My name's Michaelin. It's like Jacqueline, but with a mic. I go by the Nestor online because I thought the internet was going to be full of Unabombers before I started. I'm like, I can't give my actual name. <laughs> I regret, but also regretting that my mom named me a weird name. She got really smart before she went to Emily. But I help women in their home. I help women who probably would never hire a decorator or a designer, but they want to make just a little bit better decisions. They want to be more confident. And so we talk about using the least amount of style, but getting the most amount of stuff. That's what I'm all about. I never met a home that I didn't love. Mm. And where are you? Oh, I'm in the mountains of North Carolina. Yeah, it's dreamy. It is. It's dreamy. Sometimes your social media feed just get, fills me with such wanderlust that I am like, no, Jen, your family's here. Your kid, you have to live here. Your 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 children are here. I'm like, oh, that's right. But look at the hills. We're They're lucky. so pretty. It's beautiful. They're so beautiful. I know. Okay, so that's Michaelin, eldest sister, and hi, Emily. It, it really is true that your mom swung real hard on names, like did. real hard, like. Not even in the same zip codes. Yeah, it's just Emily. It's still one of the most common names. That's right. Just went like, yeah, swung yeah. hard in the opposite direction. Yeah, I don't know what you mean, says Jennifer. <laughs> I don't know about what you mean. Do you know when I when I was little, every single one of my baby dolls was named Jenny? I wished my <laughs> name was Jennifer. I named every baby doll Jennifer. My grandmother's name was Jennifer. We have several cousins named Jennifer. Of it course. was like the name. And I'm still a little bit sad about it. All your baby doll Jennies. Oh. <laughs> All the Jennies, baby Jennies. Okay. Well, I have to briefly, I have to say, sister, as your little sister, what you meant was the most amount of style with the least amount of stuff. Because when you say it the other way around, no one is going to want to do that. The least <laughs> amount of style with the most amount Emily, of stuff. 
I say it wrong all the time. Like 90% of the time I say it backwards, which sounds awful. Right. So then you're like, I would, I would like you to have just more than you have. Right. Yeah, and have I, more than you have and, and no style. Awful. Zero and, and style. Actually no function or style to it all, but just more. Right. Let's just put more, more in a room. It. And no style. <laughs> My ears heard what you meant. Thank so you. I am an interpreter by trade. And so I'm like, oh, that. That was backwards. We need to we need to make that right. I do appreciate that. So we don't need to edit that. That's just a delightful little gaffe. Okay, <laughs> Emily. I love it. Okay, so I'm Emily. I use the P on the internet, but you do not have to call me Emily P. Freeman in real life. But again, you know, because my mom swung hard in the opposite direction, there are more than there's more than one of us Emily Freemans oh, out there yeah, in the there world. Really are. So we distinguish, you'll, you'll see, we distinguish ourselves with our middle initials because that's the world we live in now. <laughs> that's right. So I also live in North Carolina. I'm in Greensboro, which is kind of the middle of the state. We have three kiddos, two that are on their way home from college as we speak their first year of college, which is a whole new world. And then we have one still at home at high school, but I, I like to hang out kind of on the intersection of creativity, faith, and decision-making and discernment. It's one of those conversations that for some reason, I'm still not tired of after hosting a podcast called The Next Right Thing for six-ish years and writing a couple books about it. I just... I just keep finding that this is a this is a space where it is endlessly fascinating to think about how how we make decisions, how we don't make decisions, and how our personalities come into play and all that. So that's kind of that's kind of where I live. Oh man. The thing is, the both of you have such permanent job security between <laughs> like decision paralysis. I am presented with the opportunity to make somewhere between like 12 and 91 decisions a day. So that's never going to run out as far as I can tell. Like I'll never just be like, and now the decision-making portion of my journeys come to an end. So, and then it's new things. Like I'm in such a similar parenting place. I've got, well, one kid, my freshman in college came home yesterday, having completed his finals, his last day of class got a junior in high school left here. And so I'm presented with all these new parenting choices right now called how do you parent young adults? And it is a real, it's a real journey. It's a real. <laughs> yeah. It's a real, it's so real. And then my home, which is, I've looked to both of you for so much instruction for so many years and I have implemented, I can't even count how many of your your policies and your procedures, if you will, into my home, into my brain. And so when we were talking about this series as a podcast team, it's called Calming the Chaos. I was like, I know who to call. I know who to call. Let's call the girls. It's interesting and kind of fascinating that you both found kind of adjacent lines of work. Uh, they're, they're not identical, but there's so much overlap to your principles and sort of the way in which you operate. And so I just, how did that happen? Like, was your mom like this? How are you like this? How are you the way that you are? I will start because it it's a very philosophical, deep, it's a deep answer. And I will tell you, it all started with the Barbie dolls. It just- Jenny, we are, were any of them Jenny? Like, multiple, was that their side name? Okay, Multiple great, Jennies. Yeah, yeah, multiple yeah. Multiple Jennies, always. So Michael and I are three years apart. And we shared a room until, I don't know, sister, I was like 11-ish, 12, 13, how? I don't know. Yeah, I was 13. Probably too old to be sharing rooms, but okay. here we are. 
Sure. It's what it's what we had. And so, but what we would do is we would play Barbies, like, like I'm talking multiple levels of, of Barbie life. But the thing is, is the way we moved through our Barbie life as kids echoes into adulthood. It is the way that we live our lives as grown-ups in many ways. I was endlessly fascinated with the lives and the inner workings of the Barbies with their relationships, with their names and their backstories. These were like there there was like backstabbing and there was oh, you know, sure. drama and there was grief and there was yeah. joy and celebrations. I mean the whole it was like a little like this is life and what makes you tick and let's let's pay attention to all these things. Meanwhile, my playmate, my sister. Do you want to tell them how you play Barbie? Oh, yeah. I'm curious. Yeah. There was furniture. There was sofas <laughs> and chairs and life-size plants and all kinds of things. I would go to my life-size mom's room and get like a handkerchief and be like, this can be a comforter. It was so much fun. She oh, didn't my care God, Joel. I've never she heard you tell drama. this. I've never heard you say this. This is so funny to me. This is folklore. This is like the legacy. <sighs> yes. And it, the thing is, it. let me tell you what. Let me tell you what's frustrating for an eight-year-old is when all you want to do is play Barbies the way God intended. Sure. With relationships and breakups. I mean, who's going to get married and divorced if they're worried about their bedspreads? Nobody. Jen Hatmaker. That's what I'm here to tell you. And it was like, and I didn't understand. Now I understand it. Looking back, it all makes sense. But at the time, it's like, why don't you know how to play? We always had to spend all our time like picking the furniture, choosing the <laughs> outfits, decorating the houses. It was days of this, days. And I'm and I would have to when no. she would like be gone or go to bed, yeah. I would have to like secretly like okay and like act out what was really happening because like they had to live a life. I'm just so this is my favorite story I've ever heard. <laughs> Michael, and do you want to defend your position? Because what if if they have no aesthetic? How are we going to operate right. in the in the neighborhood? It's true. I didn't even need the Barbies. I just wanted their stuff, and I really played in secret until I was fifteen, and it was so embarrassing. But I still loved it. So no, you know, correction. Now I back, I'm like, you, I was decorating. You didn't play in secret. You decorated in secret. I decorated. <laughs> there was yeah. no playing. There was right. just. You're right. Decorating. I don't have to be embarrassed of that anymore. No, you don't. You're grown. And look, it turned into a whole job. You yeah. made up oh, a job. I'm so proud. You made up so a job happy. out of it. Let's fast track this into how this is playing out in your adult life. I'm going to start with you, Emily, around your particular kind of work, which you sort of high leveled. You gave us the snapshot of what it is that you do. And this whole idea of just do the next right thing, it comforts me in a way that's hard to explain. Okay. I have long said, I'm on record as saying I am regularly and chronically overwhelmed by what I like to call upfronts. And that is when I get an upfront of a whole thing. Like, like here's, here's the whole year. Let's look at it from a high level. Let's look at the calendar for the whole year. Or here's a whole book proposal. Let's think about what every chapter is going to be about. Or let's make a new project and we're going to upfront all the moving parts. So can you just talk philosophically a little bit? You had a lot of options on inroads here, how you wanted to word it, how to how you wanted to structure your work. I'd like to hear you talk more about the next right thing, doing the next right thing when it sometimes feels like everything always all at once. Right. That's how it feels to me. That's how it feels. 
I mean, let's talk about rather than the upfronts, what's the down back? How can we opposite that? I like this so much. Yes. I'll say, I'll say now it, it, it needs to be said that of course I did not come up with the phrase, do the next right thing. This has been said by many brilliant humans before me. I consider it part of the public domain at this point. Mother Teresa, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Lamott, Brennan Manning, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. This is a concept. And let's not forget Anna from Frozen, the most famous of all. We are in good company here. Yeah, that's right. She's in the pool. She's Mm -hmm. in the pool. The reality is we make tens of thousands of decisions every single day. This is decision-making and discernment is not something we can quit, ignore, graduate, or retire from, or often delegate. It is always with us, as you mentioned before, unfortunately. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's not. And let's not forget, it is a great privilege to be able to make a choice at all. You know, and we realize that. But that knowledge does not, unfortunately, take away the overwhelm of actually having to make a move. And so I think I think the phrase alone brings relief because in our heads, many of us, I'll speak for myself, I am a hoarder of thoughts, of ideas, of questions, of anxieties decisions, discernments, all of those things. And so the idea that knowing that my only job at any given moment really and truly is to do the next right thing, just what is the next right thing? And when you think of it, like really right now, my next right thing, we're having a conversation. I don't have to think about dinner. We're doing this right now. That is a very practical way of decluttering at the soul level because that my hoarder brain Doing the next right thing is a is an intentional action that we can take to declutter our soul. Just like we do in our homes, we do this on the inside because we are always collecting. Just look at our house. Like you're always collecting things all the time, holidays, birthdays, you're bringing things in. And we often get to that point where we're like, I must, we throw everything away, get a dumpster truck and we're going to throw it all away. And we, we do that because we see with our eyes, the clutter It's more difficult to do that for our inner life and those things that are cluttering up the soul, but it's happening all the time. You wake up in the morning, you have a conversation with the kids. This thing is in my way. You have a fight with someone, you get this weird email, but you still have to go to the store. Like, and meanwhile, it's all accumulating on the inside. Where is the decluttering on the inside? And for me, it happens sometimes in silent solitude and stillness. And sometimes then it happens in action by just doing the next right thing. It's acknowledging that we live in a fast moving world, but our invitation is to live in just this one small moment at a time. Mm. It feels so smart and simple and like a real obvious solution to the internal clutter and overwhelm. Why is it so hard? Like why, why are our instincts not bent toward the next right thing? I, like who will fix us? Uh, it's so interesting. Our instinct to just onboard all of it, like, and and try to keep all the tabs open in our brains, like for the course of the day. And I love this. This is a discipline. Would you suggest that this requires practice? Because this does not come naturally to me. I don't know anyone it comes naturally to. It is so much easier to do something than to do nothing. And when I say nothing, I mean maybe nothing visibly, but it it takes, it feels like it takes an act of God, and sometimes it does, to be still. And I will literally, Jen, I do this not every morning, but a lot of mornings, I will set a timer on my phone for three minutes, five minutes. And my job in that time is to sit and be be a person. I'm just gonna be a person for five minutes. And 
I know that if I pick up my phone to scroll something, because that's an instinct, is that I'll see my timer that's on the phone. That's why it's great to set a timer. I'm like, oh, but my job right now, until that until that bell rings, is to just sit here and be a person in the silence. I know that can be scary for some of us because we're afraid of what will come up in the silence. But let me tell you, what comes up is there anyway. Great point. And it's already influencing our decisions. It's influencing God, our true. relationships. And so what it's so much better to know what it is rather than to have it influencing us in secret and us not even be aware of it because it will it will influence us in ways beyond we might ever imagine that it could so that 5 minutes can really do a lot i'm telling you it doesn't take much that's why i say 5 minutes i think it is a little bit more accessible you could start with 1 minute that also counts it all counts Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Guys, it's already allergy season in Texas. My yard is in full bloom and all the things are in the air. So I decided allergies will not win this year. So I tried Astapro. It has improved my nasal allergy symptoms and it's faster, bro. Astapro is a first of its kind nasal allergy spray. It is the fastest 24 hour over the counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. So get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go, you guys, today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Astapro and go. So I want to shift over to you, Michael, and because you also have sort of a, to use your own word, a, like a minimalist approach to what it is like inside the four walls of our homes. You don't have to, I don't think, convince any of us, but certainly not me, that a chaotic home equals a chaotic mind. That is facts. I am so influenced by how my home is. So, so influenced by the shoes in the front hallway. I am so influenced by what the dishes on the, I mean, everything about the way my home is organized and structured affects me. One thing that you have said before is we can decide where to place our focus inside our homes and give ourselves permission to stop worrying about the rest. How lovely. Thank you. What a nice thing to say to us. So I'd like to hear what you have to say about this when it comes to where we live. Yeah, it's very relatable to Emily's decluttering of the soul. It's just the visual aspect of that. And I think for some people, starting with the soul part might be easier. And then for other people, starting with the visual house part might be an easier way to enter. And you're right, there there are tons of studies about clutter and chaos and what it does to our literal heartbeat, to our you know stress that we feel. None of us need a scientist in a white lab coat to tell us that. We already feel it every day when we look around. And so it's kind of weird in a way because I'm a person who loves decor. I love beautiful things. I want to own everything beautiful in the world. I want to make vignettes and tchotchkes and all of those things. But the place to start, especially if you feel overwhelmed, and I also think, you know, moving into this season is such a good time to start with first 
removing. And I, I don't know if you read Tim Ferriss, but he has a list of 17 questions that changed his life. And there's one that I can never get out of my head. And it is, what if I could only subtract to solve this problem? Oh, whoa. Right? Whoa. As much as I hate to admit it, even when it comes to decorating, which we think of as what can I add? What else? What else is missing? What do I need to add? You have to have, 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 have to start with removing first. You have to have margin in your home. You have to have breathing space. You have to be able to experience your home when it's quiet. And so the the practice for that, in the same way that Emily's practice was to set that five-minute timer, was I like to designate an empty surface in every room or in the most used room of my home. So what that means is like, say our family room, our kitchen, and maybe your breakfast room those rooms that we function and live in and do everything in. Choose one surface, usually the one that is like the workhorse. So that's probably your kitchen island. It's probably the breakfast table and your coffee table. And allow that to not be required to look cute. Do not do a vignette. Do not try to like style it with the, you know, groups of threes and a vase and a plant and all of those things. You don't have to style your coffee table. You can have a beautiful home without styling your coffee table. And I don't style my coffee table. I don't style my breakfast table. I don't style my island because those are the workhorses of my family. So if you take one, just today, like right now while you're listening even, just clear one area off and release yourself, first of all, from the responsibility of like, that must look cute. And it must be a place where I fold my laundry, where the cat naps, where the kids do homework, where you know I have my coffee and my lunch. No, no, just let it be empty when it's not serving you. It is ready to work. Like it is doing something. I think we think if I used to think this, anything empty was like unfinished and I'm doing a bad job. But now I see it as like, oh, it's, it's ready for me. And there is something just like with Emily's five minutes when we were both like, oh, that sounds so wonderful. It's like opulent. It feels so luxurious to have an empty coffee table, to have an empty surface. Start there. I don't know what people are thinking when they hear you say that, but this is part of your sort of practice all this, all these years. And I have done exactly what you say. We're going to get to quieting a room here in a second. And it's weird how it works. It's weird. Somebody may be thinking, am I lit- clear a coffee table? Clear it. Like <laughs> just clear it and just see how that feels in your heart. Like it is strange how much clutter I guess I've just gotten used to, or I it's, it's I'm blind to it until it's gone. And then I'm like, wait, I don't feel like there's just as much to keep up with now for some reason. And so I love this because this is your approach with primarily the women that you work with, which is just not everybody. We don't have decorators and designers. I mean, we're just, pe- we're just people that just live in houses we live in. So like, We need somebody to help us with the life we have, like, and with the stuff we have and with the budget we have, which for most of us is in the ordinary realm. And so this is what you do. You are like, I am not looking to take you to all the most expensive stores and onboard a bunch of new stuff. Like, let's work with what you have. Let's delete. Let's start by deletion. Again, it's so accessible. Neither one of you offer anything to your communities that you have to have endless time or money 
or even margin for, which is great because most of us don't have any of that. So (laughs) I think that's why you are both so beloved and why your communities just don't leave you because they're like, well, I still have decisions to make and I still live in a house. So (laughs) I still need you. (laughs) Right. Yeah, always. What's beautiful about that too is both of these tiny, tiny little like minuscule practices give you motivation. And so then you're like, oh, I just experienced joy or, you know, whatever it is that you're looking for. And you want to do that. You want more of that. That's the only way I can be motivated. Oh, and listen, sister, like when you talk about like every now and then you'll put on your Instagram stories or something where you just clean off your counter and you like fast motion yourself doing it. I have a request. Would you please do that daily? Daily. I just need you. I just need all of your Instagram reels to just be you cleaning off a counter. I mean, the power of getting a hot soapy dishcloth and just wiping your counter off and clearing everything off. It is like, I feel like (laughs) I'm a new person. I'm a new person and I can do anything. That's That's true. It's the equivalent of taking a hot shower, only it's for your home. It's for your kitchen. Uh Yeah, exactly. Yes. so true. Y'all, I'm sitting here listening to you talk. My brain has just identified about four surfaces. I'm (laughs) like, I swear to the Lord, I'm going in there as soon as we're off of this. You'll do it. You will absolutely do it. it. You watch me. I'll put it on Instagram like Michael does. I I can do it. I know how to work the internet. I love that content for all of us. Please. Don't you? Like, look, I'm here to serve as well. But these are just little on ramps to like uh, calming some chaos. And to me, this is where it actually gets done. This is where we actually start to tame the beast. I'm going to ask you a question. Do you see anything maybe in our culture and the narrative, particularly the ones that come at women that offer or promise or suggest that they might curb some of our chaos, but they are chaos agents in disguise. They don't deliver. In fact, they contribute to the spiral that maybe they add yet another regimen or something else to sort of clutter up the the time block. We know exactly what you mean. I'll start and then I'll let Emily go. So for the home, and I know this because I am the biggest abuser of this, which is decorative storage containers. Oh yeah. Beautiful baskets. Where I mean, one is wonderful, but what I found is when I go too far into the, let me have everything, let me get a beautiful decorative basket for everything I own. And I look around my house, I end up displaying storage and storing my display pieces. Those memorable things that we all have that are packaged up really carefully and then put under the China cabinet, you know, our grandma's little chichaw, whatever it is. Because I have 10 different baskets holding homework, holding mail, holding my makeup, all the stuff that really should be behind closed doors. But the decorative basket people have convinced us that if we get enough decorative baskets, we can just have everything sitting out. And everything sitting out is that visual cue that makes us feel overwhelmed. That's mine. What's yours, Emily? Wait, first of all, I just shout out to the decorative basket decorative people. basket people yeah yeah i just it's a lobby. basket it's a lobby <laughs> they're out to get us chaos in disguise <laughs> i look at look they got me yeah same. when you just said that i'm gonna take a picture and i'm gonna text it to you girls after this i want to show you something that i have in my house where the big basket people won they won yeah they're rich they won it's um mm-hmm. it's bad okay Okay, great. Exactly. So they're like, we'll tame it, but it actually creates 
a little bit more like visual chaos, frankly. Yes. And one is fine, but it's when we are cluttering and using them for everything and suddenly we're using them as all of our decor and we have no meaningful beauty. We want to decorate with meaningful beauty. Everything else can be put right. behind. Okay. I love that. Emily, what do you think? Well, I think kind of the same way. To me, the chaos in disguise comes when people when people who are in a decision-making conundrum or they're thinking about decisions they have to make, whether it's in their home, whether that's in their life or relationships or whatever, is that what we want to do is what's the plan? And we're like, what's the path? What's Let's look forward. Give me some goal-setting techniques. And there are planners galore. There are gurus galore who will tell us like, well, here's how to create a plan for moving forward. Mm. Iris Murdoch says that at the moment of decision, most of the business of decision-making has already happened. Like when it's time to make the decision, guess what? We got to look back y'all. And to me, we're doing things in the wrong order. And in some ways we are completely ignoring what we've already done. Our best teachers for decisions we're going to make in the future are the decisions we've already made in the past. But if we never take the time to, magic word here, reflect, which for some people that's like, yes, I'm so past oriented. I love reflecting. And other people are like, the past is over. We're moving forward. So I realize this can be a a sticky subject, but I would submit that taking some time or really just living a life of some small amounts of reflection on a maybe a weekly basis can go so much further than that week between Christmas and New Year's that we're all like, this is it. I'm going to upfront my life. Like you say, like I'm looking at all of 2023 and I'm going to tell you all of my goals and all of my things. But like, that's a big ask for that one week. But guess what? We don't have to wait till December to reflect on our life. We can look back at decisions we've already made. What were our favorite yeses? What were our favorite noes? What do we wish we would have said no to? What do we wish we would have said yes to? What was life draining? What was life giving of things we've already done? Because that information already exists. We don't have to like wonder. We're not looking into the future and trying to guess at something. We're looking at the past and, and gathering information. And it's not in order to change the past. Obviously, we can't do that. But it can influence decisions we make in the future. And so I think that's to me, one of the biggest misses when it comes to decision-making is we're always thinking forward, what decision should I make rather than thinking about, okay, but what have I already done and how did that turn out? That is really good advice. Well, I'll just put you right on the spot. Can you think of an example? Can you give us an example of a time where you had a decision to make and it was actually in the reflection that helped you make it, not necessarily in the projection? Yeah. I think this happens for me. Like when I'm thinking in my work, it happens for me in, let's say a partnership where someone invites me to be a part of something. And because here's the thing, and and my sister taught me this term, the word, rather than an opportunity, some things are flopportunities where oh, and that's, that's, her, that's a nester, oh. quote it, put it on a t-shirt. I wish I had come up with that. Opportunities. We all do. We, we all do. And we hope that, you know, well, we only can aspire to, to yeah, do it in the future. Yeah, I'm telling you, that has legs. <laughs> Long I, I legs. Will, I will drink my coffee out of a cup that says that. So, yeah. But when something's presented to us, and this is, I think this happens a lot with decision-making, is like, we're excited because we were picked, we were thought of, we were included, and, and it be, it becomes to us like, those are the things that make us feel like, ooh, this feels like a yes because my body got happy really fast. And I, and I feel good on the inside and I can imagine what opportunity, what could this, uh, you know, what could this make possible? 
But when I look back on invitations I've had in the past, partnerships, collabs, whatever they were, how they turned out, which ones I loved, which ones weren't great, that's so much more informative for me as far as thinking about future opportunities. Because people are people, and like, there's probably not like a new alien person who's going to come who only, it's going to be only great and wonderful partnerships and wonderful things. Like, past partnerships and collaborations can usually indicate for us, like, what worked about it, what didn't work. That has helped me so much. The the reflection has helped me so much in making a decision, not only a, a wiser, more confident decision, but honestly a quicker decision because I know the signs to look for of like, well, I, you know, what do I want to be learning right now? Who do I want to be in partnerships with right now? What's something that I'm, you know, maybe this year thinking about that maybe i I wasn't thinking about at that time, all these questions help. And I can, I can move through those more quickly when I'm like, oh, this is, this is how that went before. And chances are that might be how it goes again. So it can help us discern. And, and time cools resolution. It just does, you know, like the longer we sit and spiral around it, it doesn't get easier. It gets harder. And I can start talking myself out of discernment. Frankly, if I'm still and quiet and intentional, discernment comes to me pretty quickly. It does. And to most of us, I think. I think our our instinct, our gut is generally knows. Generally. Yes. It, yes. it can lead us astray. But more or less, we can kind of have a sense of it. But I can sure as heck talk myself out of it if I wait too long. If I'm if like, you wait too long. But also, you know, and I'll I'll create a different possibility around it that sometimes isn't true. There's a relief in quick decision-making that I think a lot of us struggle with. It's the work of discernment is so much less about what should I do or not do. It's about, can I trust myself or not? Oh gosh. The time is, is learning to trust myself, but usually it's exactly like you say, you often know within the first minute, you know, but you don't know that, you know. And so I I love Uh, Padraig Padraig Otuma, one of my favorite talks about, we know more than we know we know. Uh, and he's right. Michael, and I know that you have talked about this because we all force you to talk about it a million times, but unfortunately, it is still so helpful. And you've you've circled around it a little bit. Obviously, we're like we're on the edges of this, but can you talk about because I'm just gonna tell you that should you have received royalties for every time I have said this, referenced you and given you credit. You would be so wealthy because I have parroted your idea of quieting a room so many times Yeah, me, so too, many, me too. to so many people, like my kids, myself, my friends, like I, I mean, I've obviously onboarded all of your wisdom into basically every space I produce. <laughs> I'm like, you will listen to this. This matters. This is so, I do it all the time. I, I said this, I promise you, this is the truth. I said this. <laughs> one week ago to Tyler, who I'm dating about quieting a space of his. <laughs> and I'm like, I know you don't believe me, but I'm just telling you, if you took it out, just see how it feels. Just mm-hmm. see, give it enough time. I, I was, I'm like, look at me, look at me. Did he do it? Did he do it? He doesn't know about this. He doesn't quiet spaces. He makes them very noisy. <laughs> he, he makes them loud. <laughs> he makes them very, very noisy. Can you talk about this? This is kind of a, a hallmark. Yeah, some of your work, this a cornerstone of your work. Well, a few minutes ago, Emily mentioned how most of us have a life where 
people are giving us a plant and it's our birthday and we got a candle and we subscribe to this magazine and they're so pretty and now there's a stack of them and the latest book that we're reading and I found this beautiful throw at Home Goods. And so we naturally, not a bad thing, bring beautiful and functional things into our room. It's wonderful. But there's no natural time where we evaluate that. And so if you think of every single singular item in your space having a voice over the months, over the years, maybe decades, it gets louder and louder. And an instant way of like a almost no pain, least amount of work, not having to make, we're not talking about making any decisions. This is an experiment. This is how can I experience the joy of decluttering without any of the pain? It's a baby step. And what you do is you just pick one room and you get like a laundry basket or 10 laundry baskets, depending on your stuff threshold and what you have in your room. And you just gather all of your beautiful tchotchkes. So anything that's not a functional item. So maybe you leave a lamp, you're going to leave your TV. But if you have 24 pillows, you're going to pack up 23 of them in your room. You're going to get everything off the coffee table. You're going to get all the plants and you all you do You don't need to get a storage unit. You don't have to evaluate. You don't pick each one up and see if they spark joy. None of that. You just put it in another room in a corner for at least 24 hours and you live in and enjoy your empty room and see what it feels like. You just get to experience your room with less. And I, it's whoever is in your family or whoever lives at your house with you. It's really helpful to do that at a time when everyone's going to be home that 24 hours or that night. So, so you can hear how other people are experiencing it too. Even that dog will act differently. He'll like roll around on his back and be run around. It's (laughs) magic. And all you're doing is just like getting it out and you can bring it all back in if you want. Yeah. Right. We never, we get to experience our room with less. And suddenly we see our favorite parts. We see how much light comes in or we see a crack that, you know, we need to fix. Or we notice that, you know, the paint color, we wish we had it just it, it's like a jumping off point to different things. And sometimes you decide not to bring very much back in. Sometimes you decide you need a new sofa. Sometimes, I mean, anything, a number of things can happen. Yeah. I've done this so many times because when I don't know where to start, that's where I start now. Like, well, let's just take it out and see about that. And I think never, I think never have I brought it all back in. Never. Same. And I'm like, it's too empty. Just for a second, it's jarring because it's visually so different than what I'm used to. And I just think no one lives here, but that shifts. It does 24 hours. I need a little bit longer than 24 hours, but a couple of days. And I'm like, wait a minute. I like this. It feels good. It feels good. And the pillows aren't on the ground Mm -hmm. because in my brain, I had them all because they're pretty when they're arranged like they are at the store. Like on the display store, on the display couch. But in my real life, they're helter skelter, they're on the ground and they're a mess and they're they're not pretty at all. So whatever it is, the quieting of the room thing sometimes is the end of my journey. I don't I don't start from there and redo a whole new thing. I'm like, and now this room is done. (laughs) That's it. And it makes me feel calm. Yes, it does. It's amazing. We think creating a beautiful home is about what we add in, but often it's about what we remove. That's so good. So one more question to you, Emily. One of your practices is you say, let's look at a specific decision 
and write it down. I like this. I really like this approach. I like this possible lowbrow, low-tech approach. This is, here I am at all times. This is how I make sense of my world. And I just, like, it's handwriting. Look, there's my note cards. Like, I write things down. And somehow it wrangles them out of this atmosphere of just indecision and also overwhelm and also what even am I talking about? So I'd like for you to talk just a tiny bit about what that practice looks like to you, why you think it matters, why this is a piece of your instruction that you continue to give your community. Well, it's a great question and this is not journaling. So everyone calm down. We do not have to journal every decision. Settle down. Just it's okay. It's going to be okay. But here's uh-huh. what I'll wait. Say. I'm going to ask you something. Are you saying that because do people say to you often, "I can't"? No, no, not another person tell me to journal. Yeah, Is if that I why? have to journal, yes. Jamie B. Golden share, shares her journal on the internet, and it's one page from seventh grade, and she's never written it again. I think so many people are like, "I bought a journal and I wrote, dear journal, I'll be oh back this God, afternoon," I love her so much. and I never came back. <laughs> oh my gosh, a story ever. Oh, funny and true. Okay. It's so funny. We all laugh because we've all done it. Um, right. And some of us, I mean, I do journal and I, I do enjoy it, but not everyone does, but that's not what that's this right. is. What this is, okay. is this is, if you cannot put your decision into a sentence, then mm. it, it is not time to make the decision yet. Ugh. How yeah. many times have I felt overwhelmed, chaotic clutter on the inside and felt like I have to do something about it. And in my foggy brain, I'm trying to solve 50 problems that I actually don't have because I'm avoiding the one decision that I do have to make, but I haven't figured out exactly what the real decision is. Sometimes, sometimes we feel overwhelmed and there's actually not a decision to make. It's just because life is hard sometimes and there's nothing we can do to fix it. It's just what it is. So writing down my actual decisions, and these are the ones that kind of make us feel stuck one at a time helps me slow down and reminds me what my job is. What is mine to do? And then from there, you can, now that you know what you're dealing with, then you can look at it and you can ask yourself some questions. I like to ask myself a desire question. What do I want to do? I'll ask a question that can expose some shame, which is what do I think I should do? Because sometimes there's something we think we should do. And it kind of can bring up like, where am I feeling a little bit you know, funny about this? And also a question that exposes fear and hope. What is the worst thing that could happen? What is the best thing that could happen? And then another one, what or who am I afraid of in this decision? And then also just paying attention, what happens to my body when I look at this decision in my handwriting on a notebook paper? Not when I think of the 50 possible outcomes that could happen, but like this right here where I am at right now, what's happening in me when I look at this decision to make? And if I don't know what to do, my job simply is to just do one next right thing as it relates to this decision. One next right thing today. Last week, I I created some chaos. I don't know if you've ever done that in your life. <laughs> it's me. I was in the problem. I created the chaos. And I just wanted to be out of it so bad. And it wasn't just affecting me. And so I was trying to do these mental leaps to get to the other side of it. Like, how is this going to not be like this anymore? Like, how can I just not be in this mess that I have made anymore. And so I had built these like very flimsy bridges to get to the, and it just wasn't working. I could feel it in my body. I'm like something, I just, we're not there. I can't get us there. This isn't, I wrote down some of like 
okay, let's just write through like, what are the things? And I saw that the next thing to do, the only next thing to do was very small and it became crystal clear, just crystal. Like, and then that solved for the next 10 steps that I was already indenting. I didn't need to do them because I fixed that this was the solve. Yeah. And so it's real. That's such good advice. It's such great advice. Girls. Okay. I have four things competing in my head to say. They're all like me, me, pick me. First of all, what I want everybody listening to know is we've just, when I say scratched the surface of what both the girls do in their, in their work, there's just endless depth to what they both do. And so I will link all their things in all one place. Very briefly, can you just touch down like the quickest and the best places that you like people to like follow you or find you or have access to what it is that you do? For me, it's the nester.com. Get encouragement in your home and on Instagram at the nester. Yep. Very good. So I'm Emily P Freeman.com. That's the website. And also on Instagram, same name, Emily P Freeman, and also the podcast, the next right thing podcast, you know, it's on purpose. 10 to 12 minute episodes every week, unless we have a guest that's a little bit longer, but usually they're very short form so that you can listen on your way to the grocery store, period, mm-hmm. the end, you're done. Mm-hmm. And you're both authors and you just have a lot of work. You've, you've got a lot that you've offered the world and your communities. And so everybody will have access to everything. Finally, you've answered this for me before because you've been on the show before. And this is Barbara Brown Taylor's question another version of a poet in the world. She's deeply unimpressed with productivity, deeply not interested. She just, (laughs) you can miss her with it. Yep. And so again, answer this, however you feel like today, this answer would change for me probably on a daily basis, but we'll start with you, Michael. And what is saving your life right now? Well, Oh, I hate that question. So big. Mine is a stupid, stupid, like we just talked about such great stuff and mine is a cosmetic. No, I I want that. No, I want, tell, (laughs) tell us. So I saw an ad on Facebook, like we do. And it had this, of course it was a man. It was like this old leathery, wrinkly man. He looked like he had an English accent. He didn't talk. Okay. Uh, Biggest bags (laughs) under his eyes. And I have had eye bags since I was born. Yeah, thirteen-year-old, and they put on this stuff. It's called Westmore Beauty sixty-second Eye Effect. It was forty dollars, <laughs> and they put it on, and they did fast motion. He held like a little fan, and his eye bag disappeared. And okay. I thought, you like, you know, you know what? it's probably a scam. But I'm gonna go. I didn't go to their website. I went to Amazon, and it had decent reviews, and I bought it, and it's amazing. <gasps> it works. What? No. Is this real? What? I no. mean, what does if it I do? Could, does it feel tight? I don't know. Yeah, it feels tight. Now, you cannot put it on over makeup and you cannot put makeup. It has a little bit of color, but it it makes your circles go away and it makes I have luggage like I could travel the world with my eye baggage. It's so heavy. And this <laughs> It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I'm shook right now. I'm telling you, it worked for me. Okay. Anyway, that felt useful. Thank you for that tip. And I'd like to see how you're going to follow that up, Emily. 
Well, there's no way to do it. I'll just, I'm going to Seinfeld us and hearken us back to where we all began. And I'll tell you, because this is literal truth. This is the true, true truth of what's saving my life right now. It is, and it has to do with my sister. It is following her cozy minimalist steps of doing things in the right order. I, this is my office where we're recording this right now. And it was a hot garbage mess before I, and here's the thing, if anyone should be able to do her house, it should be the That's Nestor right. sister. It like, should be I, you. It should be me. Cause, cause I can literally have her come over and people That's ask right. me all the time. Like when anything, when I do anything in my house that looks nice, they're like, your sister help you with that. Totally. Did your sister come over and help you with that? I'm like, I'm a person. I have a brain, but the reality is I know how to put a plant I, on a I table. I can light a candle. Uh-huh. I don't need, but but the reality is usually she did, not because she came over to my house, but because of the stuff that she's teaching about, like quieting the room and doing things in the right order and, and having one sane space, all those things. And so my office has become, she's not been to my house in like a year. We talked about this the other day because I always go to her house because why would you not, right? But so we, so it's not like she's come over and helped me with things, but just following the steps of what she teaches, it really truly works. And I've I, the, every time I've seen her in the last like three months, I'm like, but Michael, did you know that this really works? <laughs> like, like, are you surprised? Because like, you didn't tell me what to buy, but I knew, I knew That's right. what to get because That's of right. what you taught me. And she's like, I know that's how, uh-huh. that's how it goes. It's saving my life Co-sign. because I come into work in my home office and I'm like, yep. I love this room. It's, it's so like magic. Real. It's like, God, magic. it's so, so real. I, I know what you were saying is true because I came into y'all's world a decade ago, like in that era of the internet when Michaelin's book was kind of a brand new baby. Okay. Maybe it wasn't quite 10 years ago, but whatever it was. And I read it like a Bible. And I followed all of its rules and I was like, this is effective. This works. Yeah, I hope right. she knows. I hope her, she knows. Her thesis is correct. <laughs> so anyway, those are delightful. You guys, you're delightful. And I like you and I love you and I respect you. And I love your work in the world so, so, so much. I point people to you often and regularly and with good reason. And so thank you yet again for coming back into one of my things and bringing your wisdom and your experience. And I just think you are both the bee's knees. And I mean that. And I still have wanderlust for the mountains over there. And so should I ever just wander over that direction? Yeah. Open invitation. I'll just wander into one of your cozy minimalist guest rooms yeah, <laughs> I believe course. that they exist yes <laughs> all right you guys sending you all my love thank you thank so you, much for yep. thanks us. for having us so fun okay you guys when I tell you that they have so many layers to their work that we just simply didn't have time to get to, but you will want it. If you are interested in calming the chaos, these are two of your best guides. So over at jenhatmaker.com under the podcast tab, I will link not only to this episode and all the show notes, but I will put all their stuff over there, their books, their products, their websites, their socials. They are, I love both of them in my feed. I have a very curated social media feed because that is a source of chaos for me in general. And they are 100% staples 
in what I decide to take into my brain and into my thoughts because they are so wonderful to follow. I love them both. I just feel like we're in a moment where chaos is winning and I am determined to just beat it back. And so I'm glad that you're here. We have more guests to come in this series and I hope that you're loving it as much as I do. All right, you guys, we love you so much. See you next week. 